0: Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90 day short term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you skill your hosting business by getting yourself out of the daily operations. So that frees up your time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager and really focus on those higher level tasks that move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com X. Now let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show.
1: Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.
0: Welcome to podcast episode 521 of Get Paid for Your Pad. Today, we're talking about somebody who in the last one and a half years went from 25 to now 110 short-term rental units, which is an incredible accomplishment. So I'm super excited to have on the show today, Mr. David Bergman, the co-founder of Hardwood Furnished Homes, a short-term rental management company out of Colombia, not Colombia, (laughs) Columbia, South Carolina. And today we're talking about the biggest learning lessons from going from 25 to 110. And we're also going to dive into the fact that David recently purchased a laundromat to do all his linens, which is a really interesting topic that we haven't discussed much about. So I'm super excited. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. And thanks for
0: having me. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while because you know, it's truly, it's very inspiring to see you in the last year and a half go through this growth. So let's start at the beginnings. Like, can you give us a big, you know, a quick background story of like, how did you get started with short term rentals and your journey over the last year and a half?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So we got, my wife and I are the co founders of Heartwood Furnished Home. So we started this back in 2017, kind of by accident. I don't know if people people may recall there was a, a total solar eclipse that happened in 2017 and this was kind of a big event where you would get a certain period of darkness in the sky and Columbia, south carolina for some strange reason i'm sure there's a, a scientific explanation but had one of the longest durations of blackout during that date so we read in the newspaper that there was absolutely no hotels left like you couldn't find anywhere to stay and we had heard of airbnb and we thought well we can just go stay with our parents and our my parents and um put our own house on airbnb so that's how we got started and we did that and within a few hours we had somebody booking our place for 750 a night and paid our mortgage and we're like whoa this is really cool So that got our kind of juices flowing. We started to think about other opportunities. I was always interested in in rental properties, and my wife's an architect, and I have kind of more of a numbers background. So we kind of had a good partnership in that way. So we were actually in the process already of fixing up a, a rental property around the corner, a duplex. So we quickly went from going, oh, maybe this long-term rental thing is is not quite as profitable as the short-term rental thing could be. And so we became investors ourselves in short-term rentals. And that's kind of how we got started initially is just with our full-time jobs, going out, buying properties with conventional mortgages, doing cash-out refis and making them short-term rentals. So we did that with about 4 units before even considering any sort of management or leasing of properties or anything like that. That's kind of our initial journey into this. And that's what got us, I really did not think that this thing at that time, that this was scalable beyond perhaps a couple units. It just seemed so time consuming. But as I learned from, from you and others that there is a way to make the scale and it began to get us interested in Next steps, which is kind of where we've we've kind of been going to now, which is this becoming our job, becoming our business, and really developing our lifestyle around this. So we ultimately were looking to quit our jobs, and that's what we've been able to accomplish over that time, as both my wife and I are now full-time in the business, but it was certainly a journey to get there. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but that's kind of where we got started.
0: It's so funny because like almost everyone in this business got started by accident (laughs) and like a solar eclipse is that's, that's a, that's just a really, really interesting event. So it's so crazy how life sometimes just depends on these like little coincidences or these moments that we have no control over that just happens. And suddenly like our paths are completely different than if that event wouldn't have happened maybe right so it is it's so interesting so you start you know you start with a couple of units and then how did you make the decision to go into the management side yeah
1: so we actually actually started i heard of this thing called rental arbitrage or master leasing so I actually started doing that first at the time and the reason we did that is cuz my wife's actually a really good decorator as well she's just got this great Eye for you know that classic short term rental design that you, I think, we now come to expect from professional short term rentals, and so we knew that by basically renting a place and then putting her skills to work on the furnishing side, that we could do pretty well that way. So we actually started out by picking up, I think, probably eight. Master leases early on before we even started managing. And those eight are pretty much all that we have now. We haven't really picked up any additional leases, but we actually got contacted by somebody in our city who was running a short term rental and was just tired of it. And they saw that we had good reviews and they asked if we were interested. And I said, sure, we'll give it a shot. And then we just, you know, just kind of bootstrapped it from there creating our service agreements, you know, doing research as needed to really build out the management side, the reports. We already had the software really because we were managing our own units and managing the master lease units. So it was pretty natural just building out just that additional stuff that like a, a true client would need under a property management arrangement. That's what took a little bit of extra work, but it was pretty seamless and then from from there it was really i'm pretty involved because my interest was really in actually investing i was pretty involved in some of the local investing networks in colombia and so i've been able to meet a lot of people there and get them interested but a lot of them are not interested in doing the day-to-day work so we kind of step in and help them make money on their portfolio here in colombia so That's how we got started is really helping investors. We've since expanded a little, you know, to be in a couple different areas around Columbia. For instance, there's a there's a big lake here called Lake Murray, and we're also there. That's kind of a secondary market for us, but it's more of a vacation rental market. So we've also kind of moved into that area as well, but really just started helping investors get them the returns that they want. And once we proved ourselves with with them, it was very easy to show them the value of continuing to pick up properties with us and allowing us to manage. So that's, that's a lot of what I think that initial growth was about.
0: Sure. You know, we met in April, 2021, you were actually in the very first class of our program, Legends X. I think you were around like 20, 25 units. Um, what were sort of the challenges that you were facing that made you join the program?
1: yeah everything that we you know we call the hectic coast was is facing trying to do everything in the business at that time i think 20 properties is about that point where you still have to do everything and wear all the hats but you don't necessarily have the cash flow to support a, a headcount so that's the challenge i think there and we are also my wife and i were Trying to get paid by the business as well and moving out of our full-time jobs. So even more so, we didn't have the the revenue to support headcount. So I think that's that was the challenge we were facing there, is just like, okay, how do you get from 20 to 30 so that you can maybe afford an employee or a couple employees and also be able to pay yourself and get yourself out of the right type of activities, you know, choosing what those most valuable activities that we'd like to get off our plate would be. And that was that was the main thing. I think we had our systems pretty locked in. We learned some stuff in legends about how to improve those systems, but we felt pretty strong on systems. It was more about the people side. And that's what I liked about legends is there's that initial focus on the people, also, the business and your goals, which we hadn't really thought through at that time. So, I think we needed to kind of take a step back initially too and decide what is it we're trying to accomplish besides just quit our day jobs.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, that's that was the, um, you know, that really kicked off like, how do we hire right? How do we get people in to take Over some of those responsibilities and encouraged us through that network of people we met to hire our first maintenance person and to hire our first cleaning supervisor who really helped us handle the growth that would come and are still with us today.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I would love to hear like you, after you finished the program about a year and a half ago, less than one and a half years ago. You then grew from 25 to 110, right? I would love to hear like, what are the free things that you learned throughout that process or the free f- piece of advice that you have for, for somebody who was who's re- currently in your shoes at like 20 units and trying to break through that barrier?
1: Yeah, I think... The timing of the hiring is really important and hiring the right people is really important. I thought about both of those things a lot at that stage and I still think about those. You kind of have to invest in your people before you need them. And that was that's kind of a struggle for me. <laughs> I kind of like to like, oh, we need them now. We can afford them now. Let's now bring them in, but you kind of can't do that. You have to make the investment sometimes earlier and then grow into them. So I think that's an important an important consideration like if you're at 20 and you know you can't really afford an employee, do you still want to make that investment knowing that you are growing to 30 within the next couple months and that that person will like do you want to be that That person still doing that job from 20 to 30 properties, are you going to be able to do that and keep up with the onboarding and everything else in your business? Or is it better to just go ahead and make that hire? I think there's a right that's there's some optimal level in there where you want to go ahead and start, if you know the growth is coming, go ahead and get some of those hires in place. So I think that's one of the key things that I had to learn through that process, not coming from a background of hiring people. My background was as an actuary in an insurance company. So I was very numbers focused and I was just the sole contributor. I didn't manage people. So for me, I never really had to worry about resource allocation. So that was one thing that I had to learn very quickly because at the time, just hiring a couple, but now having a lot of employees, that became more and more important. I'd say, The other thing is just like along the same lines is hiring the right people. I think everybody... It's tough. I mean, it's tough to find the right people for the right seats. We all have different capabilities, different strengths and weaknesses, myself included. And I think that that's always going to be a persistent struggle in any business. And we now have the right people, but we had to go through some bad people to get there or not good fit people. So just identifying that quickly and trying your best to hire the right people. But it's, it's tough because a lot of people will seem like they're the right fit or you may be very optimistic. I'm a very optimistic guy. So I see the best in everybody. So I, I am probably <laughs> too quick to hire, but I'm cognizant if something's not a good fit. So that's one thing I, I, I had to learn. I think just adjusting systems quickly is the other kind of the second thing. As you grow, like you're going to realize where the fractures are in your systems, whatever that is. And I think it's just really important to to not just kind of try and deal with them in the... Kind of the easiest way or, the, or just throw your own time or energy at it every single time it comes up. It's just better to consider what exactly is the root cause of this and doing that sort of analysis to understand it. And then getting down to that and figuring out is there a better way to do things that maybe this issue can just go away completely for us rather than us have to spend our man hours each time and consider the cost of your time in that too. You may need to spend a little money to avoid that issue entirely, but maybe it's worth it. Because if you look at the opportunity cost of your time, it pencils out better that way. So I'm all about just quickly iterating your systems and your processes to go for that most efficient way of running things. And that's just a constant battle. And yeah. the more property... Every 10 properties, I feel like I, we find another fracture, like major fracture that we have to tackle... And I think that's, that it's just important to be really, really careful about those. Because if you get 30 properties in and you haven't addressed those, then they really start to add up. So I think that's something for anybody just to take some time as you're growing fast to see what's going on in your business and just make sure that those things are tidied up. And then I, I think finally is and this is one i learned but i also am still dealing with but the importance of saying no to clients or to guests but primarily clients Uh, (laughs) we have a lot of clients who are very seasoned investors and they ask a lot of us and we try and you know we're we're service-minded and hospitality-minded so it's easy to get in the You know, get into that mindset of saying yes to things that maybe don't make sense for your business or makes makes sense economically. So I think it's I've learned this the hard way by saying yes to a lot of maybe not not core market properties. Like they're not in my window. And I think legends teaches about this as well. Like you you want to really know who that that client is or that property type is that you want to onboard. And I heard that at Legends, but I still have a hard time with it. And I'm still... But I've now... you know, I've had to grow that. (laughs) I've had to grow that over time to be able to say, No, this really isn't in the right location for us. And this isn't really... I don't think this particular client is going to be a good fit because they want to take control of their own property and we're the experts and we, we really do it this way and we control all this stuff. So yeah, I think that's just one lesson that I'm constantly learning. And now I'm having to go back and, and deal with my decisions where I said yes earlier. So I'll have to go back and say, you know, this is no longer working. But, you know, that that's a more difficult conversation after the fact than it is if you had just said no from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I just feel like Everyone, especially people who run a business, but probably every every single person in life has that challenge. I know very few people who are hundred percent comfortable to just always say no when they when they feel like it's not the right fit or whatever it is so I think I feel like that's a constant struggle for us and it takes some takes some personal growth to really have that confidence to just say no. I don't know where I read this but I think it was like the book, The One Thing, where they talk about how saying no to the wrong opportunity enables you to say yes to the right opportunity, right? So that kind of helped me change my perspective where I was like, okay, well, I'm saying no now, but that also means I'm going to be able to say yes to something else that's a better fit, right? So that that made, made it a bit easier for me where... Where I was like, okay, it doesn't mean. I mean, there's just it's just in the end of the day, like you have, you know, yeah, you, you have limited time, limited resources. It's all about like, okay, how am I deploying my resources, right? And there's always going to be as business owners, there's always be opportunities coming our way. So yeah, I think that's a, a really important skill set for everybody to, even if you have a few listings, it's really important skill set to develop. Like you mentioned, mostly for clients, but also also for guests, right? Some people struggle with that too. is like saying no to the to the wrong guests. So I want to go into your laundromat that you purchased. You mentioned that that's been a very insightful journey. Yeah, can you? What's your experience with with laundry and linen in in general, and why did you decide to buy this laundromat?
1: Yeah, yeah. So laundry is one of those areas that I, <laughs> I have a lot of interest in. We very early on, and I think a lot of hosts probably experienced this, but realized that we needed some sort of standardization of the laundry and the linens that are in our places, much like a a hotel. I mean, there's a lot of value in having a standard type of sheet, a standard way of making beds. So we right around that, the time we started Legends, like right around the 20 property mark, we converted all of our units to a single bedding type. And we started buying that from a a local hotel supplier in cases that's like 24 counts of sheets. And what we then did is began selling that to new clients as a requirement for onboarding. So they would buy a set from us. And then they would also pay a monthly cost to, to basically deal with the damage that comes with the linen, which is fairly frequent, at least in our experience here in Colombia, we just get a lot of damages. And people don't really take care of our bedding. And they don't expect to have to, I think, from their experience in hotels. So what that allowed us to do is get all 110 properties, minus a couple that I didn't say no to. (laughs) Get them all onto a single bed type so that when our cleaning crew shows up, if uh, originally if they needed something, we could just pull it from our back stock and that would be very simple but we still had the expectation that the cleaning crew would do all of the laundry offsite. That began to kind of at some point, I don't know exactly what what count this happened at, but it, at some point it became very, Difficult to manage the inventory of that linen and what was coming out from our office and what was ending up at the units, what was not coming back was getting stained. And so we really needed to make a change. And this is where I, you know, going back to adjusting systems quickly, like we had to make a change there because we were bleeding linens, like spending five, Six, 7000 dollars a month in linens just going out the door. And we had no idea where it was going. And it was affecting the profitability of our company. So what we decided to do was change our, our entire cleaning process. And we're still not fully transitioned. We're still about 50-50. But now what we have is cleaners who come to our office. First thing in the morning, they pick up all of their fresh bedding, they take that bedding to the units that they're working that day. And they know exactly how many sets they need of each thing. They grab those and we call them internally, we call these bundles. So we have like a queen bundle that includes, it's a, like a plastic bag with everything you need to make a queen bed or everything you need for a king bed or a bathroom so each one is labeled and so they just have to bring out the appropriate bed size bundles and the appropriate number of bath bundles and then they should be able to reset that place entirely without doing any laundry on site and then they bring these the soiled linen back to us and then from there we can process it and that's really where the laundromat came in is because well it's that's great we can now keep the inventory more in control and we can spend less time cleaning the units which by the way had the extra I guess benefit of the fact that if you're spending less time in each unit your cleaners then they can do more units per day so you actually need fewer employees at least fewer employees working on the housekeeping side you actually need somebody to do the laundry now <laughs> but so where, where the laundromat Came in as we were spending, we we were getting all that inventory in, all the soil linen, and we had a pretty good relationship with a wash and fold company, which is a great place to start a process like this if anybody's considering it. Where we were doing laundry for about a dollar a pound, that's usually kind of how they charge us back is on a pound basis, and that was very very cheap i mean i think in other states maybe in your state in california that might be closer to two dollars unless you're you're committing a significant volume so we were doing okay but then our prices started to go up and up and up and then we were paying a dollar fifty a pound and so our prices we went out and negotiated with a lot of different wash and fold laundromats and they were all like look we can't cover our cost unless We do it at this, and we don't have the margin. So I said, okay, (laughs) let's find our own laundromat. And we were having issues with the wash and fold companies, anyways. Just as far as being able to control the quality and the output that they were doing, because they really they were doing the volume, but we were getting back pieces that were stained. They were also not bundled into our bundles, so we still had additional processing that had to take place after the fact. So our costs were pretty high in that setup. So with the laundromat, we actually found this on dot loop, which is just the uh, just for people that aren't aware, that's kind of like the Zillow for commercial properties. If you want to buy or sell a commercial property, loopnet, dot loop is the DocuSign type competitor. Loopnet is what I meant. But within Loopnet, what you can do is search for different property types in different industries, and we found this laundromat with a, actually has a triplex in the back, which is really cool because we we envision that to eventually become short term rentals as well. So we we went and looked at it, and you know they had eighteen washers, eighteen dryers. They were about fifteen to twenty year old equipment. They were kind of it's kind of end of life equipment, but. I sent our housekeepers there for a few weeks. And I said, let's try out this equipment and see how it works. And we were turning all of that soiled linen just without even owning it at the laundromat just to see how the machines work. And it worked great. And they continue to be you know, good machines. And eventually, we planned uh, to invest in those. but for right now like it was great to just be able to make that acquisition of the laundromat and be able to immediately get in there have 18 washers 18 dryers at our disposal and just park a laundry attendant at the property working day to day you know doing the processing of the laundry the bundling of those and then bringing it back to our office at the end of the day to prepare for All of the turnovers that would come in the following days, so that was kind of the way that we envisioned it, and so we're happy with the outcome. We're really happy with where it's at, and it's been really successful so far. But it's only been a a short period of time.
0: Do you know? Because you mentioned earlier you were paying like first one dollar and one and a half dollars per pound. Do you have any idea? Like now that you have the laundromat. Like what, what kind of, what kind of cost you're running your laundry at now?
1: Yeah, it's about half that. It's about half that. Oh, wow. So industry, just so you know, industry average is around 60 to 70 cents a pound on commercial laundromat facilities. We're not exactly that. And we have some additional processing that we're doing on top of it but yeah we're we're running it right around 75 cents mm-hmm. and you know so that's saving us you know 50 cents a pound 50 to 75 cents a pound just depending on how much we're paying on the wash and fold and that adds up when you're doing thousands of pounds a week
0: yeah yeah 100% and then i think you mentioned there's also some other operational uh, operational efficiencies because you have control now over the the laundry, you're not depending on third party.
1: Yeah, that's right. Like we we're getting we we're getting stuff back from the third party. and and they were ruining our linen. They didn't have the interest in working the stains like we do. Like if we lose a sheet, I see twenty dollars in my mind. You know I, mean? <laughs> I see the twenty dollar bill get flushed down the toilet. So we actually we inherited these top loading machines, which are kind of junk, but. For a laundromat, but what's great about them is we put like all of our stain stuff into there, all the I'm not sure exactly what they use, but like the OxyClean and they they've got this whole chemical solution that they've got made up. Our laundry attendants do that they that works, seems to work pretty well. And they just leave that in overnight and then we come back to it in the morning. And a lot of times we can get those those stains out. So we're also we're kind of building up this this knowledge of like how to get the stains out. And by saving those pieces where we weren't before, that's leading to like, you know, like we can, we can keep more of the, the sheets in rotation than we ever could before. And I don't know, most people probably know, but once you set these stains, like your sheet's done. So you just really gotta hit them hard early on. And that's the other thing is processing them quickly, like every single day you know letting blood sit on your sheet for like a week is not a good way to address a stain <laughs> and that's what was happening before is like we would do like one load a week to the wash and fold and it was not there's so many different operational efficiencies that we've gained in being able to control it and do basically work everything every single day
0: yeah that's really interesting man like an an 18 washers and dryers like You mentioned your, uh, do you know how many pounds of linen you do per month?
1: If right now we're only doing about 50% of our units on this system, a lot of them have wash and dry on site still, but I'm estimating right around 3000 pounds. So about a thousand pounds a week. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty significant. And these machines never saw that kind of use. I mean, this was a neighbor, it still is a neighborhood laundromat that probably saw like maybe each of those machines maybe saw one spin a day. Yeah nothing like this. This was not like if you were looking at this as like a laundromat opportunity for a business in and of itself, this would just look like a real junker. But the the advantage to us was that like, now we're getting... We'll probably get 10 to 20 spins a day on each of those machines, Monday through Friday. And this is actually the coolest part. That's my favorite part. When do you think people do all of their laundry when you have customers in the the
0: weekends or in the evenings
1: yeah the weekends and the evenings it's perfect so we're working there during the days during the weekdays and then we still have all of our paying customers coming in when they like to come in which is after hours because a lot of times this is working class families and they're coming in on the times when we're not there so we're also continue to run it as a a laundromat that's open to the public and we still make quite a bit of money that way that's nice to have too but even though it's just icing on the cake yeah. if we didn't have any of that we'd be fine
0: yeah you just answered my next question actually cuz i was curious if you're still running it as a commercial property as well so are these are these machines is this a typical laundromat where you put like the coins in and it is machine where you can get the the, the detergent and all of that
1: yeah it is it's exactly like that it's so like it's classic i think they call it like zombie mat it's like a classic zombie mat like nobody's invested in this place or done anything with it for 20 years we're doing some cool stuff like we're not all the way there yet but we're like painting it like funky colors and we've like cleaned it up there was like an inch thick of like lint on everything so we're cleaning it every day now and like it's safer because we have cameras and we've painted the whole the just painting the whole thing just freshened it up it was like this odd like yellow beige color that like was i don't know maybe it was popular in the 90s but it's yeah. definitely not <laughs>
0: yeah. so my my last question uh before we wrap up what you know like for, I, obviously for you this laundromat is really working out well. To, you know adds efficiencies to your operations, makes money extra money on the top. Like at what stage do you think it will be interesting to to make this move?
1: Hmm. Well, I think going back to what I said earlier is thinking it's very important that you have a stand. At least for our business, it was really important to have a standard linen type. None of that would be possible if I was trying to say oh. Mary has this linen here in this bag, and then John has this linen over here in this other bag. And we are trying to keep 110 clients' linens separate. I don't know how that works. I'm sure somebody's made it work, but like, I can't imagine it working very well for us. So thinking ahead, if you if you have the intent to grow and you maybe want to implement a solution like this, even if that's 50, 60, however many units or 100, like me, when I finally did it, but thinking down the road, like go ahead and maybe at 15 units or 20 units, start thinking, okay, going forward from this point on, it's only going to be this standard linen type. We're selling this to our clients. When they onboard with us, you have to tell them upfront, don't buy your own linen. And then make sure that that's, that's how things work. Because by the time you need to get to this point where you want to do this, you're going to need a standard linen type. But I, to answer your question, it probably depends, it probably depends on <laughs> a lot of different factors. And I'm just thinking through a couple of those now, but I think it depends on if there are affordable laundromats in your area that are probably available like this one. And if you can get one like this, like a real junker like this, then maybe it makes sense, especially if you can get it cheap. But the other thing that I wanted to mention to, to the listeners is the other thing that was really important in what we did was developing a relationship with a local bank. Early on, we started developing that like probably a year and a half or so ago, and we started banking with them. and. And we actually, you know, we began discussions a year in advance about potentially, you know, having more units that we would buy, maybe a hotel or, you know, something. Just having that, the discussions ahead of time to understand what they were going to ask for in terms of like our profit and loss and all the accounting side so that when you do find something like a laundromat that you really do want and think is worth it, that you know you have a bank that's willing to look at it with you and give you that financing because only like a local bank would do something like this i mean yeah i don't think like a bank of america would even <laughs> they, they'd be like what is this <laughs> absolutely not yeah, that's so the key will be having the standard linen a good relationship with a bank and a good prospective laundromat that will fit the bill you don't really... You don't need one of these high-end laundromats. At least I don't feel that you do. You just need something that'll you know, be able to work. Now, the maintenance side is important too. Like you don't want to... Eventually, you're gonna have to replace the machines. So that is what it is. But I would say somewhere between 50 and 75 is where I might start thinking about it because I'm just thinking we're at 50% capacity. Mm-hmm with 100 units, right around 50 units worth of linen is coming back to our laundromat right now. So that's probably a good starting point to, to think about setting up something like this. And there are other property management companies that I'm, I know of in like Charleston in South Carolina and some other local markets where they just build out their own facilities inside of their office. If that's something you want to consider too, that might actually be more economical, just depending on your area. But in Colombia, and I think in many municipalities, they pay these outrageous tap fees to start up these laundromats just because of the size of the the sewer lines are basically this is a tax on... from the city on you. So if you're trying to avoid that cost, buying in place is sometimes much more economical than trying to do a build out.
0: Got it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for for sharing all this. This is, this is very insightful. And yeah, congratulations with you with everything you've achieved. You know, it's very, very impressive to see see you grow that fast. For the for the people who are interested in getting in touch with you, what's the best place to find you?
1: Yeah, you you can Go to our website, heartwoodfurnishedhomes.com. You can also email me at david at heartwoodfh.com. Just drop me a line and I, you know, I try and respond to everybody. I get emails from, so love to chat with anybody that wants to talk.
0: Awesome. Heartwoodfurnishedhomes.com. Awesome. David Phil. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, your time here. and. Yeah. Good luck with everything. I'm sure we'll keep in touch. And who knows, maybe in the future we'll do another episode.
1: That sounds great. Thanks, Jasper.
0: Thanks, David. And for the listeners, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. We'll be back on Friday. See you then. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started if you enjoy this podcast make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review on apple podcast for a chance to win lifetime access to the short-term rental profit academy our starter course for anybody who wants to start an airbnb business every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course Um, So if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast.